Welcome to episode two of Born to Write. Welcome to the Born to Write podcast, dedicated to writers, authors, and the art of storytelling. Go behind the scenes where writers reveal their ups and downs and how they finally shared their stories with the world. Now, here is your host, Azul Tarones. Hey, everybody. It's Azul. So glad you're here. Today, we have on the show John Vroman. Uh, he's award-winning speaker and uh, inspirer of all kinds. He's also the founder of the Front Row Foundation, which is an amazing organization that helps people that have life-threatening illnesses have an opportunity to be in the front row of one of their experiences that they've always wanted to be to. And he also teaches people how to live their life in the front row. Uh, he's a podcaster and author, an amazing father, and most importantly, my friend. Let's learn about someone like John who doesn't really think of himself as a writer, what it was like to go through writing a book, and how much work it was. Let's listen in. All right, friends, we're here with Born to Write podcast, and I know you're going to love this because my friend John Vroman is in the house, going to share a lot about what it's like to write a book, what the book does for you, and what it doesn't do for you, because there's some myths about what books can do for you that actually are a lot more difficult once you walk into the space of being an author. I'm going to introduce John um, and let him talk a little bit about himself. But John is the uh, the founder of the Front Row Factor, and it's an amazing space that allows people to get front row experiences, as well as to teach this philosophy about living your life in the front row. Without further ado, John Vroman. Welcome, What's brother. up, Azul? What's hey, up? Hey, glad to have you here. And this is so fun. I'm excited. Yeah. You know what's exciting about it is that... When I do these things and I get to talk to authors that are friends as well, I get to learn things I didn't know before we start the conversation. So that's what I'm looking for is an opportunity to talk about something we didn't talk about last time we saw each other. Yeah, and cool. I don't know if this is true for you, but when I talk to friends, sometimes I hear things and I'm like, maybe I knew that, maybe I forgot it, but I feel like I'm learning it for the first time. <laughs> right. You just, I was like, yeah, I'll just pretend I didn't know because I probably oh, forgot. Um, and it was great to hang out not long ago in Austin, which is a new home for you and your family um, because oh, yeah. man what a what a great place to be right now uh, the vibes the, the people uh, the well-being I think that's the really great thing about it is the well-being of people there we which, looked high and low for this place and I'm so I'm so glad we found it awesome so let's talk a little bit about this whole process I know we've talked about it a little bit when we talked on your podcast but I want to talk a little bit about what writing was like for you as a kid because that's what it makes me curious about people who want to write a book. Did they always feel confident writing or want to write a book? Or did they always just feel like writing was the thing that other people did? What was it like for you? Writing as a kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What writing? There was no, yeah. It's almost like that was, I felt non-existent outside of what I was forced to do. Um, and, and, and I was a very unhappy participant in that process, mostly because I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good at it, you know, that wasn't a skill where people would rave about my ability to write. And I was never given loads of praise for it. It wasn't something I naturally found a ton of enjoyment for as a kid. And uh, even reading wasn't something that, you know, nothing English related, anything that had to do with pen to paper and words was not something that uh, seemed to be my future. 
which is what makes this so fascinating. <laughs> like if somebody was to predict <laughs> the fact that I would have written a book and that it would have been doing well, I don't think that would have been on the radar at all. Um, so that's exciting to me, man. I love the idea that our past doesn't equal our present or future. I love the idea that we get to smash those limiting beliefs about who we once thought we were and who we could become. Because there's also lots of ways to do it. You know, we talked about this. Like even, uh, you know, I, I had a very limited view about what writing actually was. And that, you know, as I started getting into the book today, I started realizing all the different ways that you could do it. You can talk it out loud and then you can transcribe it and you can have somebody else, you know, be a ghostwriter for you. And then you can literally have a mix of all that and you sitting down at a computer typing. You could be involved in any level of that that you want. I think all that's brilliant to know. But man, it was a struggle taking yeah. you back. You know, taking you back. What, so if writing was not your thing in school that you were praised for, what were you praised for? What did you get validation? Uh, storytelling, usually of the untrue kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that creative I, twist on that definition. What's funny is that, you know, I remember my mom not too long ago, years ago. And I, in fact, uh, really about three years ago when I started doing research for the book, I started asking about my childhood. I, I wanted to create a timeline of my life. Who was I? At what point? Where was I living? My dad was Navy, so we were always moving around. And I wanted to create a timeline. And I'd say, what was I like? What do you remember about me being this age and this age? And to be honest, my mom didn't remember a ton. Mm. But what she did remember, uh, she shared. And to her credit, that was a long time ago. So no, no, offense, <laughs> no, no hard feelings towards mom. But she said, you're a storyteller. She goes, I remember people who would carpool that would get you to school and they would come back and they would just say, wow, that Jonathan, he's quite the storyteller, has quite the imagination. And then she'd laugh and say, I don't think you're always telling stories that were true, but you were really a passionate storyteller. And I think the part that remains today is the fact that I love telling stories. Um, I've got, I, I figured out how to tell those stories in, in print with words, uh, but that, that storytelling core and that concept was nurtured at a very young age uh, that I was good at that. And I was reinforced in both good at positive and not, not positive ways where people would say, you're a great storyteller. I was engaging with people uh, partially because, as well, you know this, I was really short. And so I wasn't able to use my physical you know, stature to connect with people, or I wasn't popular because I was tall and good looking. I wasn't popular because I could play sports. The only way I felt I could connect with people is by engaging them with my words and by being a personality or a type of person that was worthy of love, which we think we're all craving. So that's that's where that started. And I would I would get reinforcement. And then I also learned that I I could fib stories and tell stories that weren't true to get out of trouble or to get more attention. I was always into attention. I was always into love me, acknowledge me, recognize me, uh, help me feel significant as a person. I think I did that in some unhealthy ways as a younger person. And today I've just learned that I still have those needs being a human being, but I just get those needs met in much healthier ways today. Right. You know, that's what's really interesting about this is that Maybe because I spent so many years, so many years in a classroom and watched young people like you struggle, yeah. because the traditional system of I want you to tell me a, a story only lasted to about second grade, and then it was all about you got to build this paragraph and this sentence, and it, nothing fun about writing was ever nurtured in us. And if it right. was, it was a very short-lived moment, right? Right. So it's just it was painful, and if you were good at it, it's it was different. Like you enjoyed reading, you enjoyed writing, and it was never hard for you. 
that was a different experience for those people, right? But if your your gift was in storytelling, it seems like it's so disconnected from writing books, which in fact, a lot of the writers I work with and coach, their biggest struggle if they're really talented in writing is being vulnerable, honest, and telling stories. So yeah. it's funny how now it's sort of flipped that, you know, as you as you use your storytelling gift, your writing will only get better. And as the more you lean into just telling the story to convey any message, uh, you'll find your success is even greater from that, from that um, caliber of uh, crafter storytelling than it would be even if you could write really well, because you'll get better at writing because it's just about a technique, right? Or your editors will get better at finding your voice in your writing. That's right. So let's talk about this. So you run an incredible foundation. You are a gifted speaker which I, I'm just learning from you every time I meet you, is how do you decide that from going from a speaker that I think I should write this as a book and that I think I want this message to be told in a different way? What was that experience like? Because that's a really big leap in some regards. Well, there I, there is a multiple reasons why to do it. I don't know if there was one big one, but there was multiple reasons. And one of them is that I had to ask myself, how did I like to learn and grow like over the previous decade of my life? What had made the biggest impact in my world and how could I learn from that and then maybe uh, repay that to the world, if you will, or to, to pay that forward? And books was at the very top of the list. I had been massively impacted by great books that uh, you know I, would, I, I, I was grateful for in such a way that I wanted to create that same that same gift for somebody else. You know, that person who wrote the book that changed my life took the time to sit down and figure it out. I wanted to do the same. Felt like in some way it was my duty. And that duty was not only to the community, to the world. And and somebody just said this on my podcast recently, which I think was great, is that when she wrote her book, uh, her name was Louisa Jewell. And she's the founder of the uh, Canadian American Positive Psychology Association. She said, my book was just adding to the conversation. I love this concept of like, is my book the best book ever written in the world? I don't right. know. I'm not going to make that claim. I'm not going to make that claim, but I'm going to say I'm adding to the conversation of humanity. I love that idea that we all get to add to the conversation of humanity. Um, and I felt like it was my duty in that way. I felt like it was also my duty to my children. I felt like it was a legacy piece. Like why I wanted to do it in that format was, hey, I don't know how my kids are going to love to learn. I don't know if they're going to watch all my videos. I don't know if they're going to listen to any of my speeches. Um, but may- maybe the book will be the thing that resonates with them in a specific way. I know that we have to hear information sometimes multiple times in different formats in order to truly uh, uh, sink in and and uh, and start to have an impact in our world in a very positive way to 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 serve our front row family and to recruit new members to our front row family, the book seemed like a logical place. Not everybody was going to get a chance to see me speak in person. Not everybody was going to see the YouTube videos. Uh, so the book just was like, hey, how, how else can we tell this message? I also knew intuitively that doing the book was almost a little bit of a personal challenge. It was the challenge of saying, I think I've talked about this for so long. I mean, I literally talked about this book to the point, and I remember sharing this with you as my coach, that... Uh, part of it was that getting going away from the fear of feeling like I'm just a big talker and not <laughs> somebody follows through with my words. Like I, I and I knew that because you know some of my friends would be like, "What's your goal this year?" And I'm like writing a book. And they're like, mm, "Same goal as last year." Like, I wonder if this will be the year that you actually do it. And I got so sick of hearing myself to say I want to write a book that it was like, "All right, enough of that already." 
you know, sometimes that's what moves us is that like fed up part. I finally cleaned because the mess was so bad and I finally did it because I got so tired of talking about it. There was so many motivations behind the book. Um, but I, but I will tell you that, um, you know, and and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but writing it was so powerful because I've told the story for 10 years, but literally sitting down to script it in the way that I did, I had massive breakthroughs about my own life and charity. The one that I had lived in and for, for 10 years, I had massive breakthroughs when I was forced to put it into words in that way. I could have never grown in any other way except for writing the book that way. Right. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. Actually, several. It's hard to keep track of them all. But one that you just mentioned is really important, I think. The message has come up again and again. And it's the reason why people probably seek me out as opposed to show me how to, the technicalities of writing a book and getting it published. There's lots of people that will help with that. But what I know for sure is if you let it, writing a book can be transformational. And if it transforms the author, right? I've talked about this several times. I'll keep talking about it. If it transforms the author during the process of writing, there's no other choice but to transform readers. Because if not, it's just a transactional relationship. I have knowledge. I'm giving you knowledge, whether it's history knowledge or business knowledge or whatever. But if if you've transformed, they can hear that and see that and feel it and observe it as they see you in life or it, you know uh, on YouTube or whatever, that your life is transformed and the people are being transformed through the reading of the book. So I appreciate that about you. And I appreciate you discovered that because it's not always the thing that people discover and it's not always the reason people push through on a book. But I think yeah. it's the book that's worth talking about. It's because you can't help but talk about it because it's moved you. That's one thing. The other thing is your why, one of your big whys I remember talking about is a legacy for your children because you that's want right. them to know who you are from beginning yeah. to end. And there were some very vulnerable spots in your book where you had to reach back and talk about their vulnerabilities. And it's not the it's not the son you're looking at, it's you you're looking at. You're realizing, wow, this is who I am. And mm-hmm. I, I could dodge it or I can be honest. And I think mm-hmm. that's when your book started to turn and become this thing that you wanted to reveal more cautiously in the beginning, but then you just let it go. And I think it really transformed the way the book actually lives. Uh, in, yep. the, in the hands of your readers. And hopefully you've noticed that from people that responded like, wow, this is really helpful. This has really made an impact on me, not just because of the foundation, but because of what you shared. There's something permanent that feels permanent about a book, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes when we say things in conversation, we're like, oh, if that didn't work out, I'll just change it the next time I say it. Right. Right. But in yeah. a book, you're like, if I put this in a book and this lives on uh, potentially forever, uh, then I want to really be careful. So you get clear. You try to get as clear as you can. And we're evolving beings. So this is, you know, if, if I wrote the book a year from now, it would probably be even more It would be different. Right. Because right. we're just evolving. But it's who am I really? What does this really mean? And the importance of that clarity, because it's going in a book, because you're going to be sharing it with people uh, is important. I, I don't think a book will ever be perfect. I don't think my book was perfect when we put it out there. I think there is a point when you're like, it's got to go out. Like, it's just it's never going to be perfect. Perfect. It's got to go out. And, uh, but yet we knew, I knew intuitively when it was, when it, when it, when it was time to say go, I knew that I knew we had worked hard I knew we had evaluated and edited and, and had feedback on it. And it was time to say yes. Right. I mean, I think it's like dating or getting married to somebody. It's like, there's a time when you're, you're dating and testing and seeing the compatibility. And then at some point you're like, I'm in. 
right? That's that's a, a right. full commitment of like, I'm with you and nobody else. And I think that there, what's great about that is that people always say, how do you know, John, when they're talking about relationships? So like, how do you know that they're the one? How do you know that they're the one? You know, and I always say, when you don't have to ask that question, Right. Exactly. <laughs> when you when you no longer have to ask and and that was kind of how it is with the book like it was like i did ask that question for a period of time like how do i know when it's ready to go out and then at some point after all the working and all the editing and all the writing it was like oh it's time to go it's time right. to and i knew it in my heart right you know? and you know what's interesting is that you mentioned you know the process that you were going through a little bit i want to talk a little bit about you reaching back to your your, your family and asking questions because that was an interesting step you chose to take because it wasn't yeah. originally what you talked about when we first, gosh, it's been over, over two years that, we, you know, two, year, two and a half years almost that we talked That's about right. this and you started saying, how do I start this thing? Like, how do I just get <laughs> moving? And, yeah. and I didn't want to tell you, it's not a fast moving beginning process. It feels like you should just organize and go, but it's kind of yeah. like this slow figuring out who am I really going to be on this page? Yep. versus what information's in my head do I want to share? And I think you discovered a little bit about what happens when you just try to give information and then you return to this idea of like, let me figure out how do I discover myself through this book? What, what was that process like? The first showing up to figure out, I want to write a book all the way until you decided you, you're ready to try to figure out how to tell this on the page. Oh, gosh. You know, if if I take you back to the early the early days, I'm just going to, I'll walk you through what I remember being the process. Um, I remember, I remember part of the process was reaching out. Part of the process for me was asking, uh, a lot of questions to a lot of different people, to my inner circle, to my, to my personal board of directors or what I call my front row. Right. I, I, I remember asking a lot of questions, sitting down in coffee shops, um, what could this be about? What should this be about? What's the storyline? Uh, how much of it should be about John Broman? Like, is is it is it my life? Is that the interesting thing? Is it a is it an autobiography type of situation, or is it is it all about the recipients and all about the people that we're helping? And for anybody listening that doesn't know, Front Row Foundation helps kids and adults who have some type of life threatening illness to have a front row experience at the event of their dreams. Right. So, in case you're just tuning in, you know that's what the charity does. And the charity, uh, over 10 years, we had served and we'd raised millions of dollars and helped many, many people. And the book was going to be, you know, maybe about what we learned about living life from people fighting for it. So how do I blend all this together? And some people have an opinion like, oh, John, this should be heavily about you and your story. It's a great story. You should really expand on that. Uh, other people were like, it should be all about the recipients, 100%, like outwardly focused, uh, charity focused. And I would hear all these various opinions. And I would, I remember the early emotions as well was being confused a lot, almost every day, constantly confused, not knowing which direction to go. I was paralyzed, right? Right. Um, and I think that, you know, I'd, I'd get on the phone with an author and he's like, hey, you got you to gotta do a mind map first, right? And he's, you know, get the advice about mapping it out. So if you want your book to be about 200 pages, think about, you know, how many pages is that per uh, chapter, how many, how many chapters do you think you would want? Maybe it's 10 chapters. And then, uh, you know, think about these sub, uh, categories in the chapter, these little sections. Right. And he's like, you know, and, and, and I was getting advice from, and I don't, and honestly, at this point, I don't remember who the advice was coming from. I don't, I don't remember which author. I don't remember if it was you. I don't remember if it was my mom, if it was my best friend, John, like, I don't remember. It was so much advice that I was getting. 
Um, I know all people were critical in their own unique ways. They were all playing a, a role in this orchestra of helping me figure out what to do. Right. And I remember feeling confused a lot. That's what I want to communicate to anybody out there listening. It's just, I felt like I was, I was constantly like uh, uh, changing my mind, if you will. And then finally, I remember getting the mind map going and I got that up on the wall and I saw that. And then the goal was uh, early on, the process was figuring out um, could my buddy John interview me and then I'll record it. And uh, so he met me at my house every morning at 5 a.m for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we take a little section at a time. He'd ask me questions. I'd record it. I would get it transcribed. I would send it off uh, to a, a woman who I hired to help me write the book. And then she would take this, and we would meet at coffee shops, and she'd figure out how to put it all together. We'd mind map it out. We'd change ideas. And then she started writing. And And I remember telling you this, that, and, and I don't know if we, I'm giving too much away too fast, but I'm, I just feel like this is the story, right? Like this is the story. She yeah. came back, and she handed me a book, and uh, it wasn't, it, I, I started reading and I wasn't, it wasn't me. It wasn't my voice. It wasn't, it wasn't authentically the story that I wanted to say. And here's what I think is important for everybody out there listening is that I wouldn't have known that unless we did it. Yeah. I would have never been able to predict that fully. I don't feel like we made a mistake. I feel like we took an action and we just determined that it wasn't going to work. It, 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 it didn't light me up. Now, somebody else was like, that's really great. You could put the book out right now and it would be awesome. And then I remember you and I were talking and we were just like, I don't think it's the voice. So what happened was the hardest thing was I had already paid thousands of dollars and invested so much time. And, 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 and that was difficult to make the decision to go back to the drawing board. I was going to re-edit the book. Mm -hmm. Right. I was going to re-edit the book. And then I sat down, I started editing and I realized I need to completely do this. I need to, I need to completely write every chapter by myself at my computer. And that's exactly what I did. I sat down, I wrote out all the chapters and then I remember started handing it off to an editor. And, uh, so this is all part of the process of how we wrestle and how we come to grips with where we are. I remember sending it to the editor and feeling totally exhausted. Like finally it's done. Now the editor's just going to go in and move a couple words around and we're going to be done and we're going to launch this thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, and then I remember having some discussion with the editor and the first chapter realizing that after this, it, she, she was wonderful. Leslie is her name and Leslie's uh, helping me. And, and I realized, oh my God, I need to redo chapter one entirely. And it was a completely, by the time that we were done editing, it was a completely different rewrite on the third time. And if you would have told me that this is what was going to happen, that I was going to do the transcription, and then if you told me that we were, I was going to write the book, and then I would ultimately write it a third time before it would go out, I would probably be like, ah, I'm probably not going to do a book. <laughs> right. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. But, but what was awesome along the way was that who I was in the beginning was just very inquisitive, asking questions, learning, making mistakes, and then adjusting and course correcting when I was reading it back to myself, when I was reading my own words, my own thoughts, my own ideas, reading them back and then asking those deep questions. Is this really the story? What's the through line? What's the thread that's taking this thing all the way through? How is it for me? How is it for my readers? And ultimately editing like crazy over the course of what then became two years to before the book was released. Um, man, that's, you know, that's, that's how I recall the process going. Right. You know, and you, your experience isn't unlike a lot of people who writing, whether they, they, it was their thing or wasn't, is that they realize that 
the first draft isn't as as amazing as they hoped it to be. Like it was like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm done. Right. You know, it's I always mention the Japanese proverb when you're halfway there. When you're 90% done, you're only halfway there because right. that's exactly the way writing feels. Like, oh, I finished. <sighs> now it's just editing. And that's really where the hard part begins. <laughs> but I don't right. really tell people that because I'm like, look, that's why you should sprint to get the first draft done because the truth is the first draft is probably not going to hold up. And yeah. and if it does, it's going to need a lot of work. But just be okay with that. And most people, it's, they what they do is they slow down and go, well, I'll just get more careful. I'll get I'll edit each line. I'm like, that's not it. If it were you, oh. your editing skills was the problem, that would be easily fixed. But it's not. It's the the things you discuss, the journey, yep. the transformation. And if you wait too long, if you would have been writing that book from then till now, you change as a person. So the book's going to change. So it never gets finished because you're always changing it, right? So right. at some point, you got to be like, um, this is a photograph of my life, not a movie. So the book is just like a moment in time and I can't worry that it, it would be better or different or I th- even if I think differently because that's another thing. Be like, but what if I'm wrong? What if I say this and I'm like wrong or I yeah. I don't say the right message or or people give me bad reviews or they judge me. I want it to be the book, my book, the the signature book. I go, the very first thing you do, you want to make the best thing ever. Like if I gave you this ball and I said, I want you to throw in that garbage can, you know, 40 feet away with one eye open and you're going to make it. Would you yeah. hedge your bets on that? Or would you say, well, can I give a few <laughs> chances here? <laughs> like be, be more uh, gentle yeah. with yourself. I like people say, just realize that it, your message is more important than being perfect. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, Azul, is that, you know, I interviewed Eric Weinmayer, who's become a friend. He's uh, the only blind man in history to summit Mount Everest. And he wrote a, a book called No Barriers. And I had him on the show and he, say, he told me the story about coming down from Everest. And one of his buddies had said on the way down, they said, don't let Everest be the greatest thing you've ever done. Yeah, and I, I heard that, and I was just like, "Wow, that's so incredible!" You know, when you're yeah. when you're blind and summit Mount Everest, and you're on your way down, and somebody's like, "Don't let this be the greatest thing you ever do." It's that's awesome, right. because I I hope that that's always the case. You know, somebody also recently said, "So, you know, I'm thinking about doing a book. I got this idea and this idea. I think this other idea is like my, you know, my." Well, you know, my 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 best idea ever. Should I do my my not so good book first, and then my best idea later? When you know, and I'm like, no, dude, do your best idea right now, right. Um, because likely it's 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 probably not going to be your best idea. Um, so get your best ideas out there all the time as fast as you can. The other reason I think that, like you said, writing that first draft and getting through it fast, why that's so important is that the only way that you'll really be able to critique the first draft is when you're able to take a step back from it and then read it or see where you ended up. Um, and that's a new powerful thing that can only occur once it's done. So you got to get that done so that you can have a new fresh perspective so that you can get a little space. I remember taking weeks off from the book and be like, I've been so in this thing. I've been so close to it that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let it sit for two weeks, three weeks. I'm going to come back and then read it again with a fresh set of eyes. Uh, and, and I saw it differently then. And that felt like a good move. Yeah. And it's really difficult because most people think they're writing when they're actually thinking. And I, I always hold people accountable for that. I go, show me what you wrote today. Well, I only got about a page. I go, so what did you write for like five minutes? Oh, no, I wrote for like, you know, four hours. I said, no, you thought for like three hours and 49 <laughs> right. minutes and wrote for yeah. 10. Don't That's fool right. yourself. Writing only counts when it words on a page. And and I think most people think that writing is thinking. And if it, it counts if, if you think on a page. That's what I would tell my young students when I was in a classroom. I go, look, I don't care how bad it is. Just think on a page. Yeah. Think If you think this sucks, then write, I think this sucks until you figure out what, what doesn't suck. But don't yeah. fool yourself because 
I've done that lots of times in my writing. Like, I'm going to go write, and I'm just, you know, tootling around, rearranging things. I'm not writing most of the time. and I'm, I'm avoiding writing. Um, but it's a common thing because of the things you described of, man, this is permanent. Like, if someone has a copy in their house, I can't go, like, collect all these back and say, yeah. um, yeah, that didn't work out the way I was thinking, so could I have it back? <laughs> yeah. Think with your fingers, right? Like, yeah. think think with the keyboard. Um, and that's a, that's a great way. It's just like speaking it out loud. There's a difference if you're preparing a speech between thinking about your speech and then actually saying the words out loud as you speak, like, like the iterative process through speaking it out loud is very different than just sitting in a coffee shop thinking about your speech. It comes out differently. Your brain, your, your body processes it differently. Thinking on paper or on, you know, Microsoft Word with your keyboard, with your fingers is different than just sitting there conceptualizing what it should all be about. Very right. different. So let's talk about just that process of writing for you when you do a speech or you prepare a keynote. Do you sit and write it out or do you think it out and then practice it out? What is that process like versus the process of writing a book? For me, it's always it's always begins with a mind map. You know, um, it, it always begins with some type of a map. If I'm giving a speech on a topic, it actually always begins with the audience in mind. Um, what are their pain points? What do they want to hear, need to hear? Where are they in their lives specifically? What other speakers have have connected with them and why? Um, what does that group need that every other group doesn't? What, what's special about this? So I'm always thinking about my audience before I prepare. But then the preparation process for me typically is if you think about the, the modules of a speech, right? One module is your opening. Like how do I grab their attention quickly so that somebody decides very quickly within the first couple of minutes if they're going to pay attention to you, if they like you, if this is going to be a great speech. And if they decide that early on, you can have a lot of hiccups in your speech and they'll stay with you because they're like, they already decided that they like you and that they're with you. If they decide they don't like you within the first two minutes, you the rest of your speech could be nails and it's going to be very difficult to get them back because they've already made up their mind. You could get them back, but it's going to be a lot harder than if in the first two minutes you you lock them in, right? right. So so the opener is key. The closing is key. What, what, what are the things that are going to ring uh, in their mind, you know, for for minutes and hours and days and maybe years, hopefully. But what is the thing that's going to stick? Um, I'm asking myself, what are the stories I tell, right? What are the stories? These are modules that when I prepare, I'm like, and just like how I wrote my book, thinking about in a mind map, it's like, what are the modules that make this up? Now, I like my style is to think about, and I, it's a it's a framework I created for myself for speaking, which is like, I think about what's the story. What's the strategy then or the step, right, that they can take from that? Uh, what is the science that backs it up? And what's the silly that goes along with it? And the silly is, for me, the, the fun. How, what's the joke I put in there? What's the, the level of engagement with a crowd that, like, if I get a little giggle, that makes it all better? I want to I wanna get the left brain people with the science. I want to get the, the emotional people with the giggles. And everybody loves to giggle, right, or laugh. And, and so I've, that's my, my framework. I'm asking myself, what's the story? What's the step? Because people like practical steps. They're like, that was a great story, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how that applies to my life. I don't know what's the next step I take. You know, it's why our buddy How in the Miracle Morning works, I mean, did he come up with something that nobody else ever thought of? Is he the first one to talk about reading in the morning or, <laughs> you know, no, but, but he put together a simple process of the savers. He packaged it in a way that made it palatable. So in my, in your speeches and your books, you ask like, is there a framework? Is there a habit you're helping create is, and so that's how I create a speech. That's how I, that's how I did my writing. Very similar 
um, process for me uh, of how I pieced it all together. And then up on a board, when you when you mind map, and if you don't know what I, when I say mind map, if you if anybody out there listening, you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Just imagine that in the center of a piece of paper is a circle, and that's your main idea. And then the map is just, it looks like there's a line coming off of that center circle into another circle. It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a flower. If you just imagine or picture a flower with what's at the center and then each petal represents a piece of your speech or book or a chapter of your book. Now for me, I'm a highly visual person. I can, if I can see it, if I can move them around, I mean, my, you, you saw pictures of my wall when I was doing the book, it was a, a 12 foot wall. I had these big post-it notes that were probably six inches in width and they were my main chapter headings. And then, uh, I had smaller post-it notes that were the, uh, the smaller segments of that chapter. So maybe five or 700 words and it would be a little, it would be a story. It would be a big idea within that chapter to tell that main story of that chapter. And then I would have other color post-it notes, which were like, uh, the little, the little tiny ideas that would support that particular segmented piece of the chapter. Um, so anyway, it was all the, and by looking at my wall and moving things around and what if I put it here and what if I put it here, what if I move that whole chapter earlier on, you know, and I do that with my speaking still to this day, I, the, the, the story that I once closed my speech out with, I try opening with it. You know, I try putting it in the middle and I see how does that engage an audience? Sometimes that's by feedback of what I get. Sometimes it's my own, you know, keeping the finger on the pulse of the audience. Uh, and that for me in the writing world was all about the review team that would offer early readings of the book. And then they would say, here are my thoughts. Here's how I connected with it. Uh, and, and that's how I put it together. Yeah. That review team is actually a critical point because I think Huge. a lot of people kind of want to show it to people when it's ready and not any time before. There was something said to hold back and not give them, like if you give people your first draft that you weren't ready to, to say this is good or ready to be read, then then it's a little too early. But when you're ready to, to send it off to get feedback um, and tell people this is the messy, ugly, wet dog, I'd like some feedback so I can you know blow dry it and put ribbons in its hair and make it like presentable, but like I need your help. And it takes a vulnerable person to do that. I think most people say, well, it's not really ready yet. So I want to wait till it's ready. And that never comes. So they never get that feedback. I, I wonder if like having an audience feedback, you know what to switch or or, or your tempo to change. You, you know, if you get a laugh, you can hold on there for longer. Or if you That's see right. a tear move, you're like, okay, this is working. But in a book, how do you know that's happening? How do you well, you you get early readers. I call them superheroes because really they're taking on a big task for me, mm -hmm. and they're they're giving me honest feedback. Whether I I can't take feedback that's like oh it's really good because that's not useful. But I think that feedback is invaluable because it is your audience reaction. It's your uh, wonderings if this is going to land or not land. Should I move this? Should I take it out? Should I add more of this? Uh, so that was really a great. I think that it creates great engagement as well as preparing people to be ambassadors for your book as it's launched for marketing purposes. Uh, but as well, it gives you that early sense of, ah, oh, this is really working or this isn't working. Yep. And you could almost, I mean, for me it was, and, and there's probably a framework here to be created, but it was really like I had a team of five early on 
uh, very close people, you, my, you know, my best friends, if you will, my sister, uh, that group of five was helping me talk through the big pieces, Sarah Andrus, my friend, um, you know, big pieces. There was this core group of five. Then we opened it up to about 15. And once we had a book, once we had something of substance that they actually could read and get behind, we had a group of 15 that started reading. And the other thing that we did was we didn't give it to all 15 at once. I gave it to, I, I gave it to three people at a time, uh, over a period of time where I give it to three of those 15 and they would read it and they would comment on Google docs, you know, this, that I have a question here. I lost you here, whatever. And I would go in and I would, I would clean up. I would go, yep, I, I agree with that. I'll change it or, or, or no, I don't agree with that. I'm going to keep that. That's where I'm going to take a stand, right? That's where I'm going to be JV. I'm okay with that. Uh, I, you know, and I had some of that feedback. They're like, oh, if you want, you know, uh, this type of person to read this book, you should take out this story. And I'm like, I'm okay if they don't like that story. That's staying in, right? And so uh, I'd get that feed. I'd make the edits. Then I would send a new version to the next three because I don't need 15 people telling me the same thing if it's an obvious mistake or an right. obvious glitch. I don't need that. I don't want that. So. I would then send it to the next three and then they would read and get back to me. And then I would, I would make edits and changes and then it would do it again. And I went through about 15 readers. And then once that was done, it then went back kind of into this final tighter group of, of editing. I went to my, uh, high level, you know, uh, board of directors type people in my life that I didn't want their, I didn't want their early feedback from the standpoint of like, I didn't want to waste their time with, you know, a book that, uh, wasn't mostly done. I wanted to reserve that person to feel and experience what it was like near its completion. I got their feedback and then it was off to the final, final editing. So it was stages of reviews. It was stages of people supporting me. And I'm really happy that we did that. And I would do that again if we did another book, which we will. We're yeah. Doing front row dads. You know what, what's great about what you did? I, I, I developed systems for young people to get editors because Often we don't learn how to be good editors. We learn how to be good critiquers, meaning that we learn how to be critical. We often don't do it well and we do things that are not useful. Like say, I think you should do this. That, that's sort of just making judgment about author's choice. But the better way to get people to provide really useful feedback is tell them to ask a question about something they noticed or wondered or were curious about in the text. Meaning if they heard something that made them question, they should ask the question, but they shouldn't ask the question of the author. Like, why did you do this? Or have you considered trying this? Or who was your audience? Those are all questions to the author. If they ask questions of the text and market, then anybody else who reads the question won't have another reason to ask that question. And that's the world. I said, don't ask the same question twice. Read the questions and comments of your peers. Um, but what it really does is allows people to wonder and think and consider and then just give feedback to the author to, to have the same bigger wonderings. Um, and I think that that prevents people from giving the same comment because you can't, because it's if you don't have an intelligent question, just move on to another time when you do. Um, and I think that that's how I've empowered young people to become really good at being peer critiquers and not be just criti critical uh, of the work because it's not, and that's what, what you were struggling with a little bit with like, how should I write a book? Like you should do this. Next person, how should I write a book? Well, you definitely should yeah, not do that. Right. You should do this. I think that's the hardest part about my work is I ask way more questions than I give advice. And that's 
usually how people find the answer themselves, but most people want to give advice way before it's even needed or at all. I mean, sometimes I don't give tons of advice at all unless it's about marketing or something that's more concrete. Yeah. Um, it's a really good point. The idea of teaching people how to give you feedback is critical. I remember I gave a speech one time and I asked somebody at the end, I was like, hey, what did you think of the speech? And they were like, um, well, I wasn't watching it with that, uh, you know, le- through that lens. Uh, next time, if you want me to review it, just tell me in advance that w- of what to be looking for. And they said, also, I don't, you got to let me know what you're looking for. Am I watching body language? Am I watching storyline? Am I watching, you know, delivery, tempo? Uh, what am I looking for? Because um, I won't be able to look for all of it. I need to have something specifically I'm keeping an eye out for. So I would actually, like, by your advice, I would ask people to give specific feedback. Like, sometimes I would say to somebody, can you review this for grammar? I would say to somebody else, could you review this to, you know, for storyline? Could you, uh, hey guys, don't worry about spelling, just worry about, you know, big ideas um, and and comment where you're particularly inspired like, or, or highlight your favorite stuff. Because uh, I might say, you know, if, if it's their favorite stuff, uh, that would be great. Or, or where I had, you know, more questions, like you said, that was really valuable because they would say, well, what does this mean? Uh, or, or I want to know more about this or what, you know, and by asking that question, I would say, oh, I could go deeper there. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. I think giving specific instructions really helps the the critiquers, evaluators, the Critical. superheroes go, oh, but I think the bigger thing that can happen if you help them strip away any judgment is they don't have to be good editors if they're just good at asking simple questions. And that makes sometimes the most profound difference. And a lot of people, because a lot of my guests around here are writing nonfiction and they happen to be leading something or an entrepreneur. So people wondering, well, how does this apply to a fiction? And I'm writing a book about, you know, a young adult book, how does it apply to me? Well, it applies in the same way. For example, if you're a writer and you you write you're writing description, you say he she walked into the forest and heard a gentle leaf fall. The good question a good reader would say is, what does the forest look like and sound like? What does it feel like? Is it a forest just outside of New York, or are we in, you know, a forest in Japan? Like, what is the, so I think that they got to realize this question, questioning and looking for ways that the author isn't thinking is really valuable. And no matter who or how you uh, get your audience or pre-readers, I think it's important to remind them to just think deeply. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask you about something you brought up and that is that books have really influenced you or the thinking of people sharing their message What's something you've read or reading or that has struck you recently? Recently? Uh, good question. I love talking about this. Um, so what have I read recently that's really struck me? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with, with the first thing that popped into my mind, which is a book uh, called The One Thing by Jay Papazan and Gary Keller. I was sharing prior to this that I had breakfast with Jay uh, yesterday and it was an, it was just awesome because I loved the book and, and getting a chance to just chat with Jay one-to-one was really cool. Um, and that, that to me, that book is transformative. There is a concept in there that I talk about constantly, which is about the lead domino and, you know, and whatever it is that you're choosing to do, what can you do that by doing that one thing, 
um, you know, sets off a cascading effect of all these other positive things. Hey, you might be health, right? If you got your health in line, there's so many other things that benefit from that. You have right. so much more energy to do so many other things. You spend less money, unnecessary money on medical bills or foods that you, that aren't serving you. It might be the book, you know, for me, actually, one of the reasons I did the book was that, uh, to, to, to bring it all back. It's like, that was my one thing. If I did that one thing, that would turn into and cascade to so many other positive things. It would bring attention to the charity where we'd find new recipients, maybe get some new ticket connections, maybe some new donors. Uh, it would help our current front row family to understand our impact and it would retain donors and uh, it would help people to live life in the front row that are currently battling for their life by learning about the stories of other people that are in similar situations. It would it would turn into more keynote speeches, which I love doing. It would help uh, promote other things that we want to invite people into. Best year ever live coming up, uh, the front row summit. It That was the one thing. Right? right. And so that book, if you haven't read it, uh, it's awesome. awesome. I, I'm a huge fan. We'll link that up in the show notes. I really appreciate spending time with you. How would people learn more about you, connect with you in the future if they want to get no, more information about John Roman? Frontrowfactor.com is the place where all things front row live. So we have a couple chapters of the book there that you can download for free and get a sample. Uh, there are links to the book, which of course you can find on Amazon. Um, and uh, you know, we, we check out our podcasts, check out our community online. We would just love to, if it feels like for anybody that this resonates with you, if these things that we value make your heart sing, then, you know, join the conversation. Uh, let's, let's sample life together and see if there's a good fit. Uh, frontrowfactor.com is, is the place. Awesome. Thank you so much, John, for being here. Azul, thank you. Hey buddy, can I say one thing to you? Yeah, for sure. Dude, the book, the book wouldn't have come to life without you. I really mean that. I've said that to you many times, but I want you and all your listeners to know that the Front Row Factor book, which we're so proud of, hit number one on day one on Amazon, uh, has received 139 five-star reviews, wow. uh, would not have come to life without you and your, your absolute, uh, tr you know, uh, authentic, very timely support along the way, always being there, always saying, keep moving it forward, John, that you're doing what you need to do. That word of encouragement when I was frustrated, when I was ready, you know, sometimes to throw in the <laughs> towel, you were right there saying, hey, this is a normal part of the process. Here's what you do next. Having that type of support, having that relationship um, was so critical and you were a morale, you were a boost to my morale. You were a boost to the book in many ways. Um, and so I just want to say to you in front of your audience, thank you so much. I want to thank John Vroman for being on the show. It was great to recall his journey and to be a part of it, uh, even from the beginning. I hope if you feel like you're born to write, that you take the time to find a place, write down your words and join us again here on another episode of Born to Write. Subscribe and let us know what you think. Thank you.